Well, the passage for the sermon is 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt. And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herod. The word of the Lord. Um, During the 1400s, a great shift occurred. Many of you know what that shift was, but I'm still going to tell you. There was a shift in the culture. The culture was superstitious. The culture was mysterious. The services were in Latin. The people would go to church and they didn't understand what they were hearing. It was so uh, weird for people to go to church and not know what was being said. So everything was image-oriented and media-oriented. We're kind of... You can think about that for a second. And so then everything began to change. Things began to change to words. Words that people could read and words that people could understand. And services began to be heard in their own language, we say, their vernacular. What is it that birthed this shift? Well, it was Johann Gutenberg's printing press in 1439 that caused the shift. All of a sudden, books are being printed. Pages and papers are being printed. And people are beginning to read. And so everything changed from a media-driven culture to a a word-driven culture. From superstition and mystery to words, a culture of words. Luther called the worship of God, the place of worship, he called it a mouth house. That's such a great term. A mouth house. No longer was it a media house, but it was now a mouth house. It was a place where a minister would stand up and read a word that was printed in front of him and begin to explain the word of God and explain it to the congregation. So the reformation of the 16th century was a reformation from media to mouth, from media to words, the words of the living God. But today the the word-driven culture that we're used to is now moving backwards. We're moving back to media. We're moving back to screens. We're moving back to images and tweets and sound bites. We're moving backwards. And this being the case, the church always tends to follow the world. The church is now, I heard one minister say this. He says, we've moved from worship, driven by the word, to worshiptainment. And I'm never going to forget worshiptainment. Worship driven by media. Worship driven by pictures. Worship driven by screens. And all of these things are happening around us and people are so intense about the media and the image and the performances and we want to make sure that they're of the highest quality possible. Everything that's being done in many churches 
is for the eye and the ear of the audience. Everything is geared to what they hear and what they see. And this has brought about two interesting results that are very noticeable as we move from mouth house back to media house. Number one, it has produced superficial Christians looking for the greatest show in town. You know, when I was in a little town, one of the things that I really understood when I was in Houston, <laughs> I was the new show in town. The, sh- the church was full the first few months I was there because I was a new show in town. They wanted to see the new show. But this is a little different than that. What has happened here is like having a TV remote. And so when you don't like something on TV, what do you do? You start shifting. You start surfing for what you like. And that's what's happening in churches. Church People are going and they're, they're going for their eye and for their ear. If they find the band, they find the music, they find the, this quality or the taste that they like. And, it, and that's where they stay. But if they don't like what they see and they don't like what they hear, they just get the remote out and they change and they listen to their friends and they find out where that, what they see and what they hear. They want to find that and then that's where they go. Just like a TV remote, they change the channel or change, sorry, the church. So the second shift from as we look at the mouth house to media house is this. It's almost silenced the Word of God. I say almost. It's not a part of the liturgy anymore. You know, one of the things, I, I don't know, man, if you're going to fault me for something, fault me. It's gonna, if you fault me, it's going to be because that liturgy is driven by Scripture. I'm putting Scripture in every part of it because I want you to know this is not me making something up. This is God making something up. And so it's driven by Scripture. And so now you go and you look at churches, and i got my kids, they go, and they come back from different churches they go to, and they go, we didn't hear any Scripture. We didn't have any liturgy. It's not read, it's not preached. And I, my mom, she had a minister years ago, and, and he would come out and he would give seven minutes, little seven-minute devotionals at the beginning and a seven-minute devotional at the end, and that was it. Michael Green writes, Many clergy do not seem to believe in preaching anymore as a powerful way in which to proclaim the gospel and change life. This is the age of the sermonette, and sermonettes make Christianettes. But the chief point is this. Anytime the Word of God plays second fiddle in the life of the church, you can guarantee something. That the people of God become anemic. The people of God become sick and they become unhealthy. And if you remove the Word of God and replace it by the singing and replace it by the media, then you have a church that's dead. Now, our confession says, and I think our confession is biblical, so I'm just going to tell you the Westminster Confession of Faith says there's three marks of the church. You need to be ready for this question. It's going to happen. You're going to be asked. What are the three marks of the church? The Word of God must be preached. Number two, the sacraments must be administered. Number three, you have to exercise church discipline. When we say church discipline, what we mean is this. Don't be afraid of it. What we mean is that we take serious the shepherding of the flock. Those three things. If you remove one, it's, a de- it's not a church. By definition, it's not a church. And so that brings us to this first point this evening, the prophetic word and its delivery. I love this point. I love Gad. I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 5, the prophet Gad said to David, God spoke to David through the prophet Gad. Have you ever thought about Gad? Usually you'd say Egad. Egad. 
So David is in desperation. Remember, David's been fleeing for his life from King Saul. King Saul has every resource at his disposal. And David is running for his life. And we find him in a cave. In Psalm 34, Psalm 57, Psalm 142, tell us that Dave is in the cave and he's praying. And so he's praying for his life. And God gathers around him 400 men. And all of them, remember, they're in all the three Ds, distress, debt, and they're discontent. They're all fleeing from Saul as well. They don't want to live under his reign of terror. And so they all come to David. And among all those 400 men, there's a guy named Gad. Where did Gad come from? Well, we're not told. I think maybe we could say that Gad came from Nioth. Remember when David was fleeing, the first person he went to was Samuel. Samuel was in Ramah, and Samuel took David from Ramah to Nioth. That's a tent city where they train prophets. Maybe Gad is from Nioth, the tent city where they train prophets. But Gad became one of David's closest friends, and Gad remained with David until David died. What's the difference? What difference does it make that Gad, the unknown prophet, came to David? Why is it so significant? It's just Gad, (laughs) right? What makes him so significant? Well, this is not just Gad. This is Gad from God. This is Gad from God. This is Gad, the prophet from God. This is Gad, the mouthpiece, who's going to speak to David in his situation. This is Gad from God who's going to speak to David and give him guidance in a cave. What even makes this more significant is that Gad from God has been sent to David and not to Saul. He's been sent to David and not to Saul. Why has he not been sent to Saul? Saul's refused to listen to the word of God that came from the prophet Samuel. Saul has disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed until Samuel and Saul parted ways. The word of God walks away from King Saul and God sends a spirit of torment to King Saul. And that's to torment him and press him to repent of his sins. And his advisors came along and said, listen, the way we're going to handle this is we're going to have him listen to music. We'll soothe him. We won't, we won't tell him to repent. We'll tell him that we'll get him a heart player. To soothe him. He remains unmoved. He remains in his sin. As we said earlier, our spiritual health is related to the Word of God. A healthy Saul is a Saul who listens to the prophet of God. And a healthy church is a church that listens to the Word of God. Their liturgy is driven by the Word of God. And we hear God's Word read and preached and taught and we love it. If you and I, in any way, if the Word of God begins to diminish in us, in this place, we will become unhealthy. And if the Word of God is discarded from this place, our church will be dead. Saul has discarded the Word of God, and Saul is dead. He's dead, and he's a dead man walking. He's dead to God. The Spirit of God is tormenting him, and he is marked out for destruction. God delivered His prophetic word to David through Gad from God. He spoke to David while he was in a cave, and that cave became a a mouth house. And although you and I do not have a Gad in our midst, we do have a word that's made much more sure as it's been written down for us in the Scriptures, so says Peter in 2 Peter 1. Let me tell you what it says there in 2 Peter 1, 16-21. The Apostle Peter, he refers to his eye and ear witness of Jesus 
Transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes up with Peter, Peter, James, and John go up and they say, we saw or we beheld His majesty. This is what we saw. <laughs> Remember what I said? What was it last? I think I said this last Sunday. It's like Jesus swallowed the sun and the sun began to shine out of His pores. That's what they saw. But then they heard this. This is my beloved son they heard. From God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Peter goes on and he says this. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, more certain. So the truth about Jesus is anchored in the prophetic word of Scripture. And it's even more certain, Peter says, than my eye and my ear witness. To which you and I do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the, the, the Apostle Peter, he's telling us that it's a wonderful thing to hear from a prophet. It's a wonderful thing for a person to come up and say, I'm from God and I'm telling you the truth. But this... He says, today, you and I, we're not left alone. Although there's no prophets today, the Scriptures, they don't originate with the prophet himself. The Scriptures didn't arise in their own understandings, in their own estimation. The Scriptures were not the result of the apostles' will or their impulse. But the Scriptures that you hold in your hands, they are written by, as our children's catechism says, holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. Holy men who were carried along and taught to write down what they wrote down by the Holy Spirit. And so God has not left us without a prophetic word. The words of God are breathed out in the Old and New Testaments. And He has determined to leave these words to us so that we can read them personally and we can hear them preached. And you and I must grasp this truth. God has not left us to ourselves. It's a terrible thing to be in a cave it's even more terrible to be in the cave without the Word of God. And God gave David the Word of God in that cave. And God has not left us alone in kids' or kids' cave. God has given His Word to us, and we can hear it read, we can hear it preached. Praise the Lord. When the minister delivers the Word of God, he's not Gad. He's not Gad. He's not inspired like Gad. Those gifts have passed off the scene. But today, God has given pastors and teachers, to preach and deliver a word that's inspired by God. And so they are to stand up and they preach not under inspiration, but they preach an inspired word to the people of God. The minister's not to wow you with his stories. He's not to tell you wonderful and great stories. He's not to read the text and depart from the text and never return to the text. That's something I remember from years ago. I always wanted to say that in a sermon. But he reads the text. He explains the text and he brings Christ to you from the text and brings you to Christ as the text is preaching him. And so in order for the minister to do this, he has to study that he might exegete a text. And the word exegete means to read out what the text is saying. If he's going to read out what the text is saying, he has to study the text to know what it's saying. You don't want the minister to read into the text what he thinks it's saying. You want him to read out from the text what the text is saying. 
And I've said to our men many times on Saturday, I think the biggest thing the minister has to do is wrestle with the Scriptures weekly. Wrestle, wrestle with the Scriptures weekly. And we preach what we wrestle with, and we preach what God teaches us weekly. Read it out. Read it out. I'll give you one. I'm going to give you just one passage of Scripture before we move on here. But this is one of those passages. I think there's five or six of these, and but I, I like this. This is Jack Peterson's favorite verse. Did you know that, Dave? This is Jack Peterson's favorite verse. Ezra 7.10. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. First of all, he set his heart. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice what he studied, to obey it, and then to teach his statutes and ordinances to Israel. That's the order. That's what the minister ought to do. That's what every person ought to do in the pew. Study the law of God. Practice the law of God that you studied. And then teach it to your children. Then teach it in your Sunday school classes. Well, that brings us to the second point. Every time that you hear this word of God, you're being confronted by authority. The prophetic word and its authority. Verse 5. Listen to verse 5 again. The prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. (laughs) That's authority. He's not suggesting anything to him. He's not saying, Hey, um, God kind of is suggesting that you go this way. (laughs) He's not being timid and saying, "Uh, David, uh, well... uh, you know, I've been told to tell you that you're supposed to not to stay here, but to go there. He's not timid. But he tells him with authority, do not stay here. Depart and go there. Was David stronger than Gad? <laughs> I bet David was stronger than Gad. But David did what Gad said to do because Gad's from God. And God's word, Gad's word was God's word to him. What audacity of this man to tell David, the anointed king, what to do. But David would be different than Saul. The other day I was, I was talking to one of our kids. And I just kept doing this. I just kept saying, you're either under the word of God or you're over the word of God. And that little girl put her Bible on her head and said, I'm under it. Saul wouldn't be under it. David would be under it. David would be under Gad from God, his word. He spoke the truth, thus saith the Lord, and so David would be under it. The word of God is the highest authority on the earth. When the word of God comes to us, when we read it, when we hear it preached, it's authoritative. It's not my word, it's God's word. So when God comes to you and says, do not, then you have to do not. And if God comes to you and says, depart and go here, that's what you have to do. And if God's word comes to you and confronts you for your sin, then you have to confess your sin. If he contradicts the way you're going, you have to stop going that way. If he gives you a promise, that's wonderful. Remember what we said, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We're talking, I mean, 4, 8, and 9. He said, dwell on these things. That's a command. Practice these things. That's a command. Then he says, I'll give you a promise. The God of peace will be with you. These are God's, these are God's words. These are authoritative words. And in the United States, we are suffering from an aversion to all authority. You know, the 1960s cannot upstage where we are today. We used to say, well, yeah, look at the 60s, look at the 60s. Man, the the 60s don't have anything on the 2020s. Wow. 
All authority has been cast aside. All authority structures are being thrown to the side. We don't want anybody to rule over us unless they agree with everything we want. We want everybody to affirm us in all our thoughts and all our behaviors. What's that thing that they say at uh, Outback Steakhouse? No, no wrong, just right. We, we, we have today in the United States, no wrongs, just our rights. Everything I want. We will have no king to rule over us. We will have no preacher to preach authoritative sermons to us. We will have no parent to tell us what to do or discipline us. We will have no teacher to teach us. We will have no truth to bind us. I'm the authority. Do not tell me what to do. Adam and Eve, you know one of the biggest thing, Adam and Eve, they did not stay underneath the word of God because they wanted to be God. Augustine tells us, and I, I've been reading confessions, and Augustine says the main reason that he, he and his friends stole the pears from the pear tree, and there's so much here, but I'll only say this. He says the main reason that he, he went and stole the pears off the pear tree he said it like this. He said, it was not permitted. And whatever was not permitted, that's what I was going to do. Whatever's not permitted, I will be God. He said, I was a bad God. <laughs> I wasn't a very good looking God, but I did it because I would be God. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. And if the church is so determined to follow the way of the world and become a media house and an image house and a place of performance. If a minister ever does a bait and switch, get ready. He's not going to be tolerated. Y'all know what bait and switch is? <laughs> I mean, if a minister comes in and he starts preaching an authoritative word from God right after all the images and all the media and all that stuff has caused everybody to be so happy and then he starts telling people what to do, he'll be run out of dodge. So what he has to do is he has to preach words that are suggestions. Therapeutic words, words of affirmation, words that include everybody. You can do anything. I had a woman sit with me a few weeks ago and she said, I don't think my minister would ever tell me not to do anything. I said, that's not good because not, not everything is okay to do. We have to make people be comforted and soothed. At all costs, we must not speak with authority or conviction because we want people to come back. That's the goal. The, the people in the pew are the final arbiters of what is the truth, not God. If our church caves into this, and we do not believe the Word of God is the authoritative Word of God, we have nothing else to say. If we lose our confidence in God's Word, then this is just a massive waste of time what we're doing. But if this is the Word of God, and if this reveals Jesus Christ, and if the power of God and the salvation is in this Word and in the Gospel, then we have to stand up and preach it on a regular basis. We have to bring people to Christ and Christ to people as much as we possibly can. It's not the minister's Word. It's the Word from God, and we have to hold fast to it. Luther says it like this, Yes, I hear the sermon, but who is speaking? The minister? No, indeed. You do not hear the minister. True, the voice is his, but my God is speaking the word which he preaches or speaks. Therefore, I should honor the word of God that I may become a good pupil of the word. And so the goal then of all our reading and all our explanation is that you and I leave this place having heard the mouth of God 
It's the goal of the preacher. It's my goal to confront you and make you make a decision. (laughs) That you hear the word read, that you understand the explanation, and you're walking out of here and you got to go, this is what I have to do or I'm going to choose not to. It's both, both of those, you have to, have you been confronted to know, hey, I know what God wants me to do, and I either will say I will align myself with that or I will not. God's word comes to David and says, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart, go into the land of Judah. David has a decision to make. God comes to you and says, Repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, lead a holy life. You have a decision to make. He says, I'm the Lord. I'm here to master your life. You are not to be the master of it anymore. You have a decision to make. First Peter tells us, be holy for I am holy. You have a decision to make. God's word says, others first, you second. Or, you know, back, back in the day, I am third. <laughs> right in that, right? God first, I'm, I'm third. My family second. My church family Others first, you second. Children, honor and obey your parents. You have a decision to make. Will I align my thinking with this word? Will I align my behavior with these words? Well, third, this brings us to the prophetic word and its reception. In verse 5, it says that Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart, go into the land of Judah. So David departed. He went into the forest of Herod. David received these words from Gad and he obeyed. But who was he obeying? He was obeying God, not Gad. The prophet Gad came to David and says, Do not stay, depart and go. And he submitted. He did it. David is truly a man after God's own heart. He submits to God's word. He obeys God's word. Who did he go to first? He went to Samuel the mouthpiece of God. Who did he go to next? He went to his friend, but then he went to Ahimelech and inquired of the word of the Lord. Now God sends Gad to him while he's in a cave. And in chapter 23, we're going to see over and over, David continues to inquire of the Lord through the priest Abiathar. So he submits to the word. He obeys the word. It's never far from him. And you and I, when we hear God's Word, we are responsible for what we do with it. What's it telling you to do today? What's God commanding you to do today? Is Gad from God commanding you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you being confronted with a sin that you need to turn away from? Is there an attitude that nobody knows about but you and God that you need to turn away from? And change that attitude by God's grace. In the end, our church is not going to be judged by its media. Our church is going to be judged by its fidelity. This church will be judged by its fidelity and obedience to the Word of God. The congregation will be judged for, by how they, for, by God for how they listen to the Word. The minister is going to be judged for how he preaches the Word. But the church together as people and pastor are going to be judged by our obedience and our conformity to the Word of God. Will we be shaped by it? Will we hold God's Word forth? Will we hold it there and look at it so that we might learn how to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever? It's my prayer that we 
be driven by God's Word. Our liturgy and our singing and our praying and our preaching and our fellowshipping will be all according to the mouth of God. We all know that not, not one of us in this room is against media. We're not against Zoom links. <laughs> How many Zoom links does, do people send out every week, right? We're not against uh, websites and we're not against Facebook pages. But, and we, and we want to do them well. But we're to conform our lives to God's word. We're not here to be a media house. We're here to be a mouth house. We're here to have a word of God and attend to it because it's powerful. This word, it creates faith in Christ. This word, it sustains our faith in Jesus Christ. This word intensifies our faith in Jesus Christ. And this word says you've got to, if you love Jesus and you're in Christ, you have to obey your neighbor as yourself. And so it will create a wonderful fellowship here. So let me end by saying this. Colossians 3, was it 3.16? says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Speak the words of Jesus Christ to one another. Sing the words of Jesus Christ to one another. Talk always of the words of Jesus Christ to one another. And be encouraged with the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we all be conformed to it, especially this congregation. May God use us to draw other people to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Gad from God went to David in that cave. And at the same time, we know that even though Gad may not come to us, you have preserved the words of the prophets and the words of the apostles through their writings in the books of the Old and New Testaments. And that these words are your words to us down here in our cave today. Father, we pray that we might read them, that we might love them, that we might receive them with faith in our hearts. We might hide them in our hearts and practice them in our lives and bring you glory. Father, we pray that we might be wonderful witnesses in your hands. And Lord, we pray that you will use us this week as we go about our business. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds, and may they all line up with your truth. Work on us, Lord, where we need to have you work on us. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We'll praise you for it. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.